All right, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke. Again, so Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 67 through 79. So I had Gail read the previous passage. Now we're looking at Luke 1, 67 through 79. It can be found on page 856 in the Pew Bible. 856 in the Pew Bible. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now for wisdom and insight into your word. We ask that as we look at this song, that we would be moved by it, that it would change us and transform us even as we prepare for Christmas and the birth of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever longed for something so much that when it finally arrived, it was was so great that you couldn't keep the news of it to yourself? You just had to share it. You have waited for something. Perhaps you've waited for something. You've anticipated its arrival. And then, when it arrives, you burst forth with joy You burst forth in praise and thanksgiving because it's actually better than you would have expected. Maybe it's something that you're waiting for now, that you're putting a hope in. Maybe it's something that you are hoping for at Christmas, whether some gift, some present, some experience. Maybe, maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a birth announcement. Maybe it was a promotion or a new job. Maybe it was good news that you received from a doctor. Well, the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus is so great for God's people that it was news that couldn't be kept to themselves. It was good news that could not be kept to themselves. We see this in Zechariah as as he does something that's so unexpected after the birth of his own son. You're probably wondering, why did did Gail read about John's birth as we get ready for Christmas? Zechariah, he does something so unexpected after the birth of his own son, John. We would expect... After the announcement of his son's birth, you would think that he would praise God for who? 
for his own son, John. Especially since the talk of the town was John and what he might become. What will become of this child? What will he be? You would expect that he would, birth, uh, he would, he would burst forth in praise on this birth announcement. And with this birth announcement, because he couldn't keep it to himself. My son was born. His name is John. And then he would praise God for John, especially after being silenced for so long. But what instead, what does he do? He breaks forth in praise for Jesus. Did you catch that? He breaks forth in praise for Jesus. This song that we're going to look at this morning isn't ultimately about John. Rather, it is about Jesus and the arrival of Jesus. What would be spoken about John, even in this passage, was connected to Jesus. And so as the narrative continues, it again comes to a halt like the movie musical. And this time, the camera zooms in on Zechariah. So the camera zooms in on Zechariah and his song. This song is divided into two movements. It's a psalm of praise in verses 68 through 75 in which he blesses God for what God has done. And it's a prophecy of what God will do concerning John and Jesus in verses 76 through 79. So that's the flow in the song. Zechariah is praising God and bringing salvation to his people through the Messiah. That's the main idea. Zechariah is praising God in bringing salvation to his people through the Messiah. It's a song of praise. It's a song of celebration. It's a song of joy and thanksgiving because of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, in this arrival of Jesus. So let's consider the two parts of this hymn, and then we'll close by considering our response. So first, we see here the plan and purpose of salvation. The plan and purpose of salvation. It's a psalm of what God has done. So we see this in verses 67 through 75. Let's first look at verse 67 and the first part of 68. Verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So as Zechariah begins this song, Luke records that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Zechariah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being directed by and controlled by the Holy Spirit, he breaks forth in a prophecy. And he begins by praising God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. If you're not familiar with the story, let me just give you a little bit of, of the context here. Zechariah, he, he was a priest. He was married to Elizabeth. They were both righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and statutes. They had, but they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. And Zechariah, he was serving as a priest in the temple. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he and his wife would bear a son and they were to name him John. And perhaps you know the story. Zechariah then responds with unbelief. He responds with unbelief, and as a result, he's not able to speak until after the birth of John. And in this passage, right before this, their child is born. They call him John. They name him John. And then Zechariah was able to speak. 
And then we read this back in verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. This becomes the talk of the town, and questions would be asked, what then will be of this child? What will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And then Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, he breaks forth in a song of praise to God. So Zechariah, he blesses God and he says this in 68 through 71. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Instead of speaking about John, praising God for John, he blesses God for salvation, for bringing salvation through God's Son. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he has visited and redeemed his people. In the Old Testament, God would visit. God would visit either in judgment or in mercy. He would either arrive in wrath or in grace. And the imagery here is of God showing up on the scene. He has arrived on the scene. So when Zechariah speaks of God visiting, it might remind us of someone coming to your house to visit you because they want to see you. It's a positive experience. For God to come and visit his people was to look closely upon and graciously look upon his people. It's connected to his redeeming, to him redeeming his people. So think, think about the scene for a moment. God's people, they had, experienced, they had experienced about 400 years of silence from the end of Malachi to this point in their history. Right, so 400 years, silence. And they were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah as promised in the prophets, as declared in the prophets. They're waiting for the Son of Righteousness to rise upon them after these 400 years of, of living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Real suffering under the rule of the Romans, under oppression. They're like a group of travelers lost in a desert at night and fearing for their lives. They are waiting for God to show up and redeem them. What does Zechariah acknowledge here? God has visited. God has redeemed. How? He has raised up a horn of salvation. A redeemer to, to rescue his people out of their bondage, just as he did in the days of the Exodus in Egypt. God acts on their behalf. This visitation from God, this redemption will be brought about through his work of raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, you know, a horn, right? A horn was a symbol of strength and might and power of an animal. So he is a mighty Savior. This horn of salvation, this mighty Savior, God has raised up from the house of David. 
So who's, who's Zechariah referring to? Not John, not his own son, which is it's remarkable because, as I mentioned, he's not celebrating the birth of his son or the role that his son will play in salvation. Not yet, anyway. He is praising God because God has raised up a horn of salvation for us through the line of David. John, as you may know, he comes from the line of Aaron. Jesus comes from the house and lineage of David. God has raised up a mighty Savior who would rescue and redeem. What was promised long ago through the prophets was now being fulfilled in the arrival of the Savior from the house of David. Jesus came to bring salvation from his enemies. Matthew 1.21 says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then Zechariah adds in verses 72 through 75, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In this great redemption, God is showing mercy He is remembering his promises to his people. God's plan of salvation is being accomplished. And Zechariah is witnessing it coming to pass before his very eyes. One one writer rightly identifies here, this is not simply a promise that God is going to rescue the Jews from the Romans, but from the ultimate enemy that will be crushed by the horn of salvation. The devil, death, Darkness, disease, and everything else that puts a shadow over the joy of human life. He will rise to show mercy. God is faithful to his promises. And his mercy, and his mercy to save us, he would do so through his son. Through God's son, the Lord Jesus. We also see here in this salvation, we see the purpose of this salvation We see the purpose of this salvation in verses 74 and 75 again. Notice verses 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah declares that God has come to save us, God has come to deliver us from our enemies so that we might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. Deliverance and rescue are for the purpose of service. Now, what does that mean? What does Zechariah have in mind? What's he thinking of? Again, the imagery is tied to the Old Testament. It's filled with Old Testament allusions. He's likely picking up on the Exodus from Egypt. God delivered his people out of Egypt. Why? So, that, so they might live for themselves? So they might be free to do what they want? So they might boast in how great they are? No. In the Exodus, the Lord God raised up Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. And before Moses goes back to Egypt... 
God said to him, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that they may serve me. And then in Exodus 7, 16, say to him, the Lord God, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go, right? We normally stop right there. Let my people go. Why? That they may serve me in the wilderness. And over and over and over again in Exodus, go to Pharaoh, go into Pharaoh and say, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. God is not only demonstrating that he is king, that he is Lord over all, that he is the sovereign king over the so-called gods of the nations. But he's also showing that he alone is to be the object of their worship. To serve God was to worship him. That's sometimes how it's translated in these passages. Let my people go that they might worship me. They would offer sacrifices to him. They would live for him. They would submit their lives to him. He would be king over them. And so it is here in Luke. Being delivered from the enemy for the purpose of serving God. For the purpose of worshiping God without fear. God is to be the object of your worship. The goal was not simply physical freedom the goal was worship. God delivers us from sin and death so that we might worship Him, so that we might serve Him. This rescue, this freedom, this freedom that God has brought us through Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross is not a license to sin. It's not a license to live however you want, but an opportunity for service and love. We were slaves of sin. Now we are freed from Him so we might be slaves or servants of God. And that's a good thing. That's a glorious thing. He declares in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. They will serve God through a life that is set apart and upright in his presence each and every day. So throughout the rest of our lives, as we live in the presence of God, we are, we are to worship Him. We are to serve Him as we completely devote to Him and live with integrity. God brings us salvation so that we might serve Him without fear through a life of holiness and righteousness. So Zechariah, he's celebrating, right? He's celebrating God's plan of salvation that's being accomplished in His people for his people in history in these birth announcements of John and Jesus. Now, second. Second here, we see the prophet and the results of salvation. The prophet and results of salvation. It's a prophecy of what God will do. So notice verses 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
So now Zechariah transitions in his song to prophesy about his son, John. As I mentioned earlier, it's about 400 years of silence, and it's about 400 years since the prophet Malachi. And in that last prophecy, God had promised that the day of the Lord was coming. But before it comes, he would send his prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. In Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus says that John is the Elijah who is to come, and it is John who would be the prophet of the Most High, who would go before the Lord to prepare his ways. In Matthew 3, we know that John is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And in Malachi 3 and 4, the Lord promised to send his messenger who would prepare the way for before him. And it is John. He will prepare Jesus' way. John was a forerunner for Christ. He would soften the ground. He would till the soil of the people's hearts, so to speak, and prepare them for the arrival of Jesus. Right? We're getting ready to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. So he is, it was as though he is preparing them for his arrival. He, John would not be the Savior, but he'd give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He would get things ready for the Savior. In other words, he would tell people to repent, to turn away from their sins, and to bear fruit for God. He would tell people about the one who came to save so they could be forgiven of their sins. He would point people to God's salvation from sin. He would ultimately point people to Jesus Christ. Right? We know John would say this. He must increase. I must decrease. So he's pointing people to Jesus, which shows here that salvation is spiritual. Salvation is personal. They needed forgiveness. They need forgiveness of their sins. And being forgiven is not something that we work for. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we achieve by doing good things. Rather, we are forgiven because of God's mercy. His mercy towards us. Salvation is by God's mercy. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you're here this morning, you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven of your sins. If you would place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have the assurance that your sins are forgiven here this morning. Being saved involves being forgiven. This great salvation that Zechariah celebrates, it brings life, it brings light and peace in verses 78 and 79. Because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So when Zechariah, he's, again, he's speaking of Jesus, isn't he? When Zechariah says, the sunrise shall visit us, he's referring to the coming of Christ. And what will he do? 
he will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. In the arrival of Jesus, the light of life has come. Isaiah 9, 2, we're familiar with this during Christmas time especially. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness, to those who are in darkness, because he is the light of the world. Jesus gives light to guide us into the way of peace, and he is the Prince of Peace. It is through Jesus Christ that you can have peace with God. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The salvation promised by God and accomplished in the mighty Savior Jesus results in forgiveness and it results in peace with God. So now, as we apply this, as we apply this, I want to consider three, three responses, right? I want, to, I want us to consider the response to salvation. Three responses specifically that we should have in light of this passage. Number one, believe in Jesus Christ. The first thing, right, when you hear this, the first thing that you should respond with is you should believe in Jesus Christ. You should receive him as your Lord and Savior. Come to him and place your trust in him alone for salvation. Zechariah, he has spent this song, the majority of this song, celebrating God's plan and purpose in salvation. And he described the results of salvation, that God has raised up a horn of salvation to rescue us from the ultimate enemy. And the effects of this great salvation, think about the effects of it. Freedom to serve God without fear, forgiveness of sins, spiritual life, no longer living in darkness, and peace with God forever. You can have that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, this isn't, this isn't good news that you just that we're just supposed to hear. Right? You think about Christmas time. All right, well, we hear, we hear about the birth of Jesus. We hear about what he's going to accomplish for us. And then we do nothing with it. Like, like much of the news and information that we receive in our world today, right? We, we hear it, it goes in one ear, out the other. We don't do anything with it. No, no. This good news of salvation is to be believed, is to be embraced, is to be received as a gracious gift from God, right? And so even as you get ready for Christmas this week, you, you receive gifts. Imagine this. Jesus is giving himself for you. Receive it. Believe in him. Embrace him as your Savior and Lord. We don't stop there either, do we? Number two, praise him. Praise him. 
Proclaim his greatness. Praise God for what he has done. That's what Zechariah does, and we should follow his example. As I mentioned from the outset, this passage, right, these songs, what we're doing during our Advent season is we're just working through the songs in Luke's gospel. And this passage, these songs, they're intended by Luke to draw the audience in so that we might respond in a similar way to the advent of Jesus. So that the song itself might actually be our song. If you notice, I was applying it as we go. It might be our song as well. The response then isn't a call to work for salvation as though we earn God's favor. The response, the proper response, is to acknowledge that God alone brings salvation to his people according to his mercy. We should respond by proclaiming, right? We proclaim his greatness. We praise God for this salvation. This good news is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to be expressed and praising God for it. So very practical, right? Very practical for you this morning. Each Christmas season and this Christmas season, as you reflect upon the birth of Jesus, consider what God has done for you. Consider what God has done for your family and then praise him for it. Praise him for it. Sometimes, I think in our busy world, I'm reminded of, of the, the windstorm this past week. I think sometimes our lives can be like windstorms. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, my life has been a windstorm this week, right? Just a tornado, just going over and over, just busy, 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 constantly moving, constantly doing things. Sometimes we need to slow down. Maybe you're thinking that even as I preach, Sean, slow down, you're going really fast. Sometimes we need to slow down and we need, we need to push pause. We need to push the pause button just for a moment. Maybe in a car. Maybe on the way to work or on the way to school or on the way to some activity where you just, you just turn everything off. You turn, out, turn the outside world off just for a moment. You put down your phone. You put down your device. You silence the noise around you. And then recall God's mercy toward you. Just, just stop. Just Recall God's mercy towards you. And then you praise Him. You praise Him and thank Him for His plan of salvation that He has accomplished for you. Number three. Number three, serve Him. Right? Worship God without fear in holiness and in righteousness. If the goal of salvation, if the purpose of salvation is to worship God, then this should be the response to the salvation that God has graciously given to us. 
When you receive this gift of salvation that costs the life of Jesus Christ, it should lead not only to spontaneous moments of praise, right? As you reflect upon it, you just, you burst forth in praise. Oh, God did that for me? A sinner? It shouldn't only be that response. You have moments of praise where you just, you just proclaim who, who he is. But also, it's a call to a life of worship, a life of service. It should lead to a daily life of devotion and loyalty. It should lead us to respond in holiness, in giving ourselves completely to him, in righteousness, in, in living a moral life of integrity and uprightness. You see, the New Testament writers, what they'd often do is in, when they talk to the church, right? when they write to these churches, they would remind them that Christ redeems us, Christ died to save us, Christ rescued us. They would declare Christ's work for them. Not, and then they would say this, not so you can go back and live your, your former way of life, but so that you would live for him. That we would serve him, that we would love him and love others the way he has loved us. And that's my hope, that's my hope for all of us here. Is what you're, that when you're, you are reminded of our deliverance from the bondage of sin and death, that we would then worship Him in every area of our lives. Worship and service to God is not just what we do here on Sunday morning. It's not what, just what we do in our songs. But rather, this involves living for Jesus each day because we are in the presence of God. And we serve Him and love Him and live for Him, not so that we have peace with God, but because we have peace with God. Because we are forgiven. Because we have received light and, are no longer, and we no longer live in darkness and in the shadow of death. So as we close, as we close, as we prepare our own hearts for Christmas, may God continue to soften us, right? Might he continue to soften each of us so that we can celebrate this great salvation. May we praise the Lord and serve Christ this Christmas season. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We're reminded of Jesus' birth this morning. What's fascinating is we're reminded of John's birth, which still points us to Jesus. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that you sent him to be born like one of us. He became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You sent Jesus. Jesus has come to this earth, has gone through and experienced this life, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And we come to him this morning. We want to give our lives to him this morning. 
So I do pray that each of us here would, would believe in Jesus, that we would receive the gift of salvation, and that we would praise you for it, and we would live for you because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in worship.